0: Hello everyone and welcome to Box Office Receipts, I'm your host Tyler Callahan and we got a lot of news going on with the biggest thing, we have a strike, that's right as of now the WGA or the Writers Guild of America have gone on strike, we go over what happened as well as other news going on in Hollywood, but first, let's start with the weekend box office number. Staying in first place for another weekend is the Super Mario Bros. movie with 40 million for a total of $490 million. Staying in second place is Evil Dead Rise with $12.2 million for a total of $44.4 million. It had a great second weekend drop, only dropping 50%. Opening in third place is Are You There God It's Me Margaret with 6.8 million. Fourth place was John Wick Chapter 4 with $5 million for million total, and in fifth place was the re-release of Star Wars Return of the Jedi with 4.7 million. As for other updates, AIR is now at 47.6 million, The Covenant is at 12.2 million, and Dungeons & Dragons is at 88.1 million. Oh yeah, and for Sony, the big George Foreman movie bombed at the box office, coming in at 11th place with 3 million dollars, and it was available to watch in 3,000 theaters, so yeah, no one showed up to watch it. In China, they had their May Day holiday, which is their Labor Day. Uh, this means new Chinese films were released, and opening in first place was Born to Fly, a movie about the Chinese Air Force, which earned $41.3 million. Opening in second place was a comedy called Godspeed, which made $32.9 million. In third place was All These Years, a romantic drama that opened to $19.2 million. the first slam dunk, dropped down to fourth place with $12.6 million for a total of $77.4 million. And in fifth place was a drama called Procurator, which earned $4.3 million in its debut. So I'm glad to see the box office in China start to get a bit bigger, thanks to a wave of new Chinese films. Hopefully it'll continue to build up momentum with a steady release of movies. It took a month but the Super Mario Bros movie has passed 1 billion worldwide as it earned 68.3 million over the weekend internationally bringing its total to 1.02 billion. This becomes the third movie for Illumination to pass 1 billion dollars. Evil Dead Rise earned another 14.2 million for a worldwide total of 86.5 million. John Wick Chapter 4 made 10.1 million for a worldwide total now of 402 million. Air made 2.5 million for a worldwide total of 79 million, and Dungeons and Dragons is now at 194.2 million after earning 7.1 million over the weekend. It looks like it will at least make 200 million worldwide. Taking a look now at the news on Hollywood, there is no doubt that the biggest news this week, and really what will be the biggest story of the year, is the writers' strike. This marks the first strike since 2007. And what this means is that scripts cannot be worked on until the strike is resolved. If a script is completed, production of the project can move forward, like filming, but if during filming they need to make changes to the script, they will be unable to. As for why the strike happened, basically over the last few months it looks like it was an inevitability, and after the strike was official, The WGA shared some details on how far they and the studios were on some key issues. The core issue for the WGA is that over the last few years, they have felt the studios and streamers have been turning writing writing a script into more of a gig job than an actual career where someone, you know, can come to Hollywood, start writing, build up a career in Hollywood, and on their side, that is what they're fighting for. And the main example of this is the mini room. This is where a showrunner gets a few writers together, you know, two or three writers. They write out a few scripts uh, for a new show, hoping to get greenlit. The issue here is, let's say it gets greenlit. There is no guarantee that the writers hired to write those scripts that got a greenlit would stay on and help write new episodes or be on set to offer help or learn. The WGA contend that this is hurting writers as if they cannot be on set and learn and work from others How can they grow what they do into a career? And so you can see, if mini-rooms become the standard for everything, it would be easy for it to turn into a gig job. A writer would be hired to work a month or two at a time, write a few scripts, and then move on. So in regards to this strike, if WGA want a guarantee of a proper writer's room, this means a minimum of six writers pre-greenlit, and if a show is greenlit, then the show needs one writer per episode. Then one additional writer for every two episodes, up to 12 writers. They are saying that the studios didn't even propose a counteroffer to this. As for my thoughts on the rooms, I'm with the WGA on shutting down the mini-rooms, but I'm not a fan of the mandatory minimum hiring for a writer's room. Uh, what if there is a showrunner who only wants to work with one writer to write all the scripts? Would there be a process for them to get that approved, or do they need to hire additional writers to sit there and do nothing? think this is something the WGA is going to have to think about when it comes time to negotiate again. Another request was to set up residuals based on viewership on streaming services, like how it's done for TV shows on network and cable. The studios and streamers rejected that completely, as that would require them to offer more numbers on how many people are actually watching their shows. Currently, writers only get a fixed residual. And a third big sticking point that showed up out of nowhere was AI, the WGA wanted it so that studios cannot use AI to write or rewrite literary material, the studio's proposed counteroffer was that they would be willing to hold yearly meetings on AI technology. This is what I think got a lot of writers spooked, as the fact that studios weren't even willing to say, hey, you know, we won't even use AI for the next three years, right? I think they'll believe this contract would only be good for three years. The fact they couldn't even just give that as a freebie to get concessions on other stuff. It's not a good sign. But that's where that's at. Uh, Paramount, CEO Bob Bakish, spoke about the strike during the company's quarterly earnings call. As for how Paramount Plus did, I'll talk about that in VOD Premium. Uh, He said basically that while he hopes a deal will be reached soon, the company will be able to last a prolonged strike with what they have prepared. Quote, in terms of those levers, we have a lot of content in the can, so with the exception of late night, consumer won't notice anything for a while. Add to that broad range of reality, non-scripted, as well as sports, and that is not affected, we can do more in those areas if necessary. End quote. Not sure how much content Paramount has in a can, but what he said can be applied to most studios and streamers involved, especially Netflix, so this strike will take a while. As for productions shutting down due to the strike, we have an upcoming Marvel film that is looking more and more cursed. The Hollywood Reporter is exclusively reporting that Blade has shut down production. As for why will Marvel Studios recently hired Nick Zolato to work on a script for it and well, with the strike starting he can't work on it, so production is shut down. And I think you know, this example highlights how the strike will impact movie watchers in that, you know, if you go to theater, if you watch movies on streaming you're good for this year, you're good but it's the films that come out next year and beyond that will be delayed like if Blade is already delayed there's a good chance other ones will be impacted as well, especially the The ones that haven't started filming. Sticking with Marvel 4 Minute Deadline is exclusively reporting that Rob Delaney will be returning for Deadpool 3. He was in Deadpool 2 as Peter, the only human on the X-Force team. Uh, Deadpool 3 is shaping up to be really, really good. Moving on from the strike, there is still a lot going on. First, Jamie Foxx posted a statement on Instagram, thanking everyone for their support. Uh, Quote, appreciate all the love, feeling blessed. End quote. Hopefully, he's making a great recovery. In an exclusive from Deadline, they are reporting that the famous Cinerama Dome in Los Angeles will not reopen until 2024 due to continued work on refurbishment. Personally, I've never been there, but I do hope to make a trip and watch a movie there when it does eventually reopen. In another exclusive from Deadline, they are reporting that Guy Ritchie's next film will be up for sale at the Cannes Film Festival. This is not the World War II one he is currently working on. This one will focus on two extraction specialists who have to come up with an escape plan for a female negotiator. It'll be directed by Richie, and will star Henry Cavill, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Elsa Gonzalez, with Black Bear International handling the sale at the festival. Just based on this alone, I'm sold on watching the movie. Uh, I just hope that the studio buys it for a theatrical release. (laughs) Chloe Zhao looks to have found her next project. Deadline is exclusively reporting that she is set to direct Hammett. An adaptation of a book that came out back in 2020, which is a fictional story about how Shakespeare and his wife processed their son dying. Along with Chow directing, Paul Mescal and Jesse Buckley are in talks to star in it. The film will be produced by Amblin Partners, so there is a high chance it'll be distributed by Universal. I think, the, I think if the budget on this is modest, it can work. G Kids has bought the rights to the first slam dunk for distribution in North America. This includes a theatrical release, as well as a physical media, so Blu-rays DVDs. As for release in theaters, the movie will come out sometime this summer in both the United States and Canada, in Japanese, and as well as an English dub. Unlike other anime films that have been doing well at the box office lately, I don't think this one will do well here, but who knows, maybe since it's been getting a lot of hype in Asia so far. Fans of anime in general in North America might show up to watch it. Another week, another casting update for Gladiator 2, with Deadline exclusively reporting that Pedro Pascal is in final talks to join the film in an unknown role. I know I've probably said this before, but the casting for this movie right now is insane. I just hope the actual movie is good. Finally, Warner Brothers released the first trailer for Dune Part 2, and well, it's Dune, and it still looks great. Easily one of my most anticipated movies for the year, and can't wait to watch it. We start off VOD Premium with Prime Video, where it was announced that air will be available to watch starting May 12th. That would make it a 38-day exclusive window for theaters, which, since Amazon is just getting into this, uh, pretty solid. Over on their freebie surface, we got some news as well. First, Bosch Legacy has been renewed for Season 3, before Season 2 is aired. As of now, the second season is set to come out sometime in the fall. Even though I love the original Bosch show, I still need to watch Legacy. Uh, Personally, I just wish it was also available on Prime Video with no ads. In an attempt to get more people to try out Freebie, Amazon has announced that around 100 of their Prime original shows will be available to watch on Freebie. This includes the original Bosch, The Grand Tour, The Wheel of Time, and Reacher, among others. The shows will not be leaving Prime Video and will still be available to watch ad-free. There's a strong push by Amazon to grow freebie with ads and streaming services becoming a growing business, so this isn't a surprise. I even talked about it last year when Amazon uh, was pushing this more by making original content like Bosch Legacy and now this year with Juryduty. And now by even using their own shows, it helps improve its content library as well. Over at Netflix they announced that The Diplomat has been renewed for a second season. This comes as no surprise as it shot up their charts when it debuted, and so far, is staying up there. While Netflix might be one of the few who can withstand a prolonged writer's strike thanks to them working on more reality TV and buying international content, their crown jewel is not. The creators and showrunners of Stranger Things have announced that work on the final season has been halted and will not continue until the writer's strike is over. I assume Netflix isn't happy about this, but I also assume they knew this was going to happen and have to deal with it. In an exclusive from Deadline Day, they are reporting that Carrie Condon has signed on to join the Brad Pitt-led Formula One film for Apple. She was great in Banshees of Inna Sheeran, uh, still wondering when the film is actually going to start filming. I think what I will do going forward for Apple Films is I will keep them on VOD Premium, you know, in that section, until it is announced that they are going to theaters. If they are going forward then I will move any updates to the first half of the podcast. For Warner Brothers Discovery, they announced during their quarterly earnings that they have gained 1.5 million subscribers, to have a total of 97.6 million subs across all of their services. We will see how they do next quarter when Max starts to roll out. They also announced that they expect streaming to be profitable in the United States for 2023, a year earlier than expected. So there is some good news for the company, considering all the changes that they have made. In exclusive from Deadline, they are reporting that Warner Brothers Discovery have made a deal with Bell Media in Canada to extend their licensing agreement. This means their streaming service, Crave, will continue to get Warner Brothers films and shows from HBO, as well as Max Originals. What this also means is that the new Max service will not be coming to Canada anytime soon. Finally, let's wrap up with Paramount, who did not have a great quarterly earnings. Overall, the company posted a loss of $1.12 but let's focus on the streaming side. Paramount Plus did gain 4.1 million subscribers, bringing its total to 60 million worldwide. Also, their free ad-supported service, Pluto TV, reached 80 million active users. Not only that, but revenue from their streaming services increased 39% to 1.5 billion. However, losses also increased to 511 million. Now, the company did tell investors this year that this will be the year of peak losses in streaming. So ideally, if they can get through the next few months, the streaming losses will improve. One way the company is working to save cash is to cut the dividend given to investors from 24 cents a quarter to 5 cents. They report that this will save them half a billion annually and will also mention that it will help them keep financial flexibility. Investors overall, though, were not happy with the results and with this news. Uh, of the dividend cut, with the stock dropping around 23% the next day, so yeah, not a good time for Paramount. will other news, though, for the company, they have confirmed that Yellowstone is coming to an end. The second half of Season 5 will be released in November, and the sequel series will debut in December, continuing where Yellowstone leaves off, just without Kevin Costner. It is still not confirmed if Matthew McConaughey will star in a new show. While this is not how Paramount would have liked the Yellowstone to end, there is a big benefit to doing this, and that is the prequel show will be available on Paramount+. If they were to keep the original Yellowstone show going, then it would be on Peacock. So this is some smart maneuvering on their part. And in a little bit of synergy, Paramount will be airing in 1893 on their Paramount Network channel starting June 18. And as if this episode of the box office receipts. you want to follow me on twitter or facebook links to those pages are in the show notes thank you for listening and see you next time